On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we assess the state of the comic book industry with comic book store owners Corey Brown of Zap Comics, Jeff Beck of Eastside Mags, and Anthony Marquez of Dewey's Comic City. Plus your favorite nerdy father and son duo, that'd be me and my 13-year-old, unpack Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now, straight from the new release wall at the Android's Dungeon and Baseball Card Shop, this is 1.21 Gigawatts. Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 30 for July 2018. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Ant-Man and the Wasp is film number 20 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, closing out Phase 3 as well as the 10th anniversary year from Marvel Studios, which began with the mega-hits Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War. It's been quite a year for them. Does Ant-Man and the Wasp compare to those box office monsters? Is that even a fair question to ask? And to get to your real burning inquiry, how did my 13-year-old son feel about the movie? Let's find out. But beware! There be spoilers ahead. If I, Brad Barton, am going to go see a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie in the theater, chances are this person is sitting right next to me. It's my 13-year-old son, Scott Barton. What's up? Scott, we have seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is uh, Marvel's making a big deal about the fact that it is the first Marvel movie that a female character is in the title of the movie. This is true. Yeah. Um, Did the Wasp feel like the main character to you? No. Did Anne Man still feel like the main character? Yeah. Did Michael Douglas feel like the main character? That's Hank Pym. No. No, okay. Uh, I'm just making conversation now. Okay. Um, but the Wasp was sort of a big deal. Was she? What, what, what did you think about her in a, in a leading role, in a super heroic role? Um, yeah, she was a really big character, but I think that the focus is still on Scott Lang because... It's about his journey. That's what they focus on, about his... Yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of true. That's, that is sort of true. So because we join, we, we pick up the story, like, in the... It's interesting. This movie's sort of a weird bridge, because it definitely comes, like, right on the heels of Civil War. So mm-hmm. Scott was on the... I don't want to say the wrong side of that, but now he's paying the price, and he's under house arrest because of being on Team Cap in Civil War. And... Um, this movie then rolls right into what else is going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. And I think it's really interesting. Okay, so if we get in the Wayback Machine, all right, the previous Ant-Man movie opened right after Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay. All right, so on Age of Ultron and then Ant-Man. And it, this is true. And at the time, that made me really happy. And honestly, between the two of those movies, I think I prefer Ant-Man because... All Age of Ultron was so heavy and blah, 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 blah. And frankly, seemed like it was trying so hard to keep all the parts moving together that it kind of felt a little weighty. Um, but uh, 
And then and then Ant Man came along and it was nice and it was small. Har har. Oh. I didn't mean it. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, but it, but it was a, a, a smaller scaled movie. Uh, the entire world was not up for grabs as a result, and it was funny and it mm. felt really good. Um, That's interesting. Yes, because now cut to 2018, we have seen Avengers: Infinity War. Ugh. Yeah, that's how everyone feels walking out of it in a good way, but ugh, nonetheless. Uh, and then we get to watch uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, which is like an, an after dinner dessert mint after Infinity War. That's kind of a mean way to say it, but that's true. It is an after dinner. <laughs> it's a mean way to say it? Yeah. Why? Because it's like if Infinity War. Because is I'm the comparing main a movie course, to a and mint. Then it's like Ant Man is just like a, a literal mint. But the mint is delicious. Yeah, but so is dinner. It depends on what dinner. It depends on what's being served. Well, hopefully the dinner is good. What if the what's being served for dinner is death? I'd rather take the mint. All right, there you go. Okay, okay, so this is my point. You've helped prove the point because Infinity War served up a lot of death and destruction. Mm-hmm. Ant Man and the Wasp serves up the jokes. Kind of. You know, and I would say <laughs> whistle. All right. Uh, and what I thought was interesting about it is I really started to think about how light Ant-Man and the Wasp was compared to Infinity War or any other Marvel movie. There's honestly almost no real bad guys in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Spoilers, by the way. Sorry. Spoiler alert. So, like, if you really think about it, name the bad guy in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Well, Ghost, but it's like... But like yeah. she, she's not out. Like she's not out to ruin anyone, destroy anything. No. It's mainly like I need a way to save myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there is a, a character played by uh, Walton Goggins. That's his real name. Um, I know. Goggins, really? Yeah. Yep. That's he's, Scott's looking at me with a face like that's not a name, is but it? it's a name. No, yes. Yes. All right. So there's that that gangstery guy that they're buying oh. pieces parts from, who's okay. sort of the bad guy. I thought you were talking about Lawrence Fishburne, and I was like, no, that's not his real name. And no. I thought you were trying to get me. <laughs> no, this is not a gotcha segment. Okay. We are together on this. So, um, like, there are no real bad guys, or at least Walton Goggins is maybe the bad guy, but frankly, he's almost too cartoony to be a bad guy, that's like to be a real heavy bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's the most evil one, but yeah, like, you don't take him seriously, really. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's hard to say he's the evil one after we've just watched Thanos and Thanos' minions and Ultron and and uh, Claw in Black Panther and Killmonger and all that. When this guy is the bad guy, it's sort of like, you're not a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in fact, when I continued to think about how, how light this was, I thought, I don't even think anyone even really dies in this movie. Un- um no i don't think so well until the end yeah until the the post credit sequence yeah. that we won't speak of too much necessarily all right so um ant-man and the wasp is also a comedy of course it is co-written by the star paul rudd who's a comedy guy was ant-man and the wasp a funny movie scott yes yeah can you think of anything that you found to be particularly enjoyably funny um hmm Oh, geez, there were about... They're not coming to mind right now. How did you feel about Luis in this movie? Because oh. he was a big comedic part of the previous one, too. He's so funny. He's amazing. Yeah, that's what that's what should immediately come to mind, right? Luis tells a story bit. Probably. Luis bit. does indeed tell a story once again. They know a good bit when they have it. 
And so that's a great um, uh, return uh, bit in the middle of this movie. Um, let's talk about the de-aging process. All right, so as far as Scott is concerned, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer are two good-looking people that maybe they put old-age makeup on for this movie. I don't know. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> um, so old. All right, so um, Michael Douglas is Hank Pym. Right. Michelle Pfeiffer is Janet Van Dyne. We're talking about the original Ant-Man and Wasp, if we count the previous uh, flashback sequences, in which they're in action and they're trying to defuse missiles and, and stuff. Uh, but we do see at least one scene of them de-aged, and the de-aging is so good. When you watch them as younger people, do you look at it and say, that's fakey. That looks that looks like computer-generated. No, no, it doesn't look fake at all, really. It looks amazing, doesn't it? Yeah. I you don't so. know, because you don't know, because you haven't seen them in the 80s. I don't know. Yeah. We need to watch some movies. Uh, we're going to watch Batman Returns so you can see Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Um, the de-aging is amazing, and uh, the rumor mill has it that for Captain Marvel, uh, which takes place in the 90s, Sam Jackson is going to be in the movie as Nick Fury, and Coulson is going to be in the movie, and apparently they're both going to be de-aged for the entire movie. Wow. Yeah. The entire movie. Well, I don't know how big their parts are going to be, but that every time we see them, they're going to be slightly de-aged. Okay, that'll be cool. Yeah, I think so, too. Speaking of cool, can we talk about the quantum realm? Quantum realm. You know, I was thinking earlier, we're in the movie, um, what did you say the actor's name was? Wallace Goggin? Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins. Say that five times fast. Walton Goggins, Walton Goggins, Walton Goggins, Walton Goggins, Walton Goggins. That was clearly easier than I thought it was going to be. Go ahead. What about Walton Goggins? The last time I was tripping up. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We're going to let it slide. Where he was saying, like, in the movies, like, forget AI, quantum technology is the future. And I was like, but who would want to go to this realm where you can get eaten by water bears? And that's (laughs) it. I do like saying, I think really the real villain of the movie, water bears, microscopic water bears in the quantum realm is easily the most menacing thing in this entire movie even more so than the ghost diabolical they are creepy so the quantum realm of course is the super microscopic uh, realm that Janet Van Dyne got lost in as we were led to believe and they go back to try to retrieve her Um, uh, and when I say the microscopic realm Longtime Marvel nerds might be longing for the fact that the quantum realm technically is the microverse, as popularized in such uh, nerdorific periodicals as Micronauts, and um, every once in a while, probably in Fantastic Four and some other mm-hmm. crazy Explore the Universe books like that. Um, would you like to see more adventures in the microverse? I mean, in the quantum realm, both. <laughs> Well, I'll go see another Marvel movie if that's what you're asking. <laughs> what if there was a Marvel movie that was put out that was just called Quantum Realm? I'm not I'm not going to put see Quantum Realm on a survey for what I like to see in more Marvel movies. I'll tell you that. Um, so this is the 20th Marvel movie also. Do you wow. realize that? 20 movies in I did not in, realize that. in 10 years, 20 movies. That's pretty impressive. If someone did come up to you with a survey and said, "All right, we've we're we're using up all the good ones. Uh, we might get X Men back, so let's not talk about them. Maybe Fantastic Four, but we're not going to talk about them because our lawyers won't let us." What would you put on the form as something that you still want to see? Uh, Miss Marvel, mm-hmm. definitely. That's Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. Yes, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. 
which they have rumored that they're going to put that out. The rumors are that, yes, they wanted to introduce Captain Marvel first. And then, of course, in the comics, Ms. Marvel is super inspired by Captain Marvel. And then she gets her powers. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the rumors hopefully are true. Cross your fingers. Um, what else? Let's see. Well, Squirrel Girl. (laughs) He looks at me as if, like, of course, Squirrel Girl. Yeah. Right. Which, by the way, this is only the first of at least two Squirrel Girl references this episode. Stay tuned, true believers, to hear another Squirrel Girl reference later in this episode. Enough said. Enough said. Honestly, on that note, I think uh, we can probably move on. So uh, Ant- we've, we've gone away from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Do you have any parting words on Ant-Man and the Wasp? What's, what's one of the top reasons to see Ant-Man and the Wasp? What's one of the top reasons to skip Ant-Man and the Wasp? One of the top reasons to see Ant-Man and the Wasp is Luis tells a story again. Luis tells a story. My, my, the reason I will give is that it is very funny, as expected. Paul Rudd is uh, and remains a comedy genius. Um, the action is good and the effects are good, but Paul Rudd is uh, he's the most charming man on the planet, and he does it again here. All right. Is there any reason why you wouldn't want someone to see Ant-Man and the Wasp? No. I'm trying to think of one, but I can't. I can't really think of one either. They're really funny. Um, uh, so I will leave you just with this, uh, fair listeners. Baba Yaga. Yeah, it's like Baba Yaga. Yeah, see the movie. Baba Yaga. Reading comic books is hard. Well, not the act of reading them. That's fairly easy. It's lots of fun. It's a nice escape. Maybe you start in the hobby by happily reading a couple series, but then there are cancellations, there are reboots, renumberings, and relaunches. Then an event series comes along, and you don't know whether it'll be important enough that you have to read it, or whether you can skip it. The finer points of collecting, of speculation, it's stressful, man! Luckily, the good men and women at your local comic book store are here to help navigate these mutant laser shark-infested waters, And I got to chat with a group of them a couple weeks ago at the Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown, New Jersey. I hosted the State of the Comic Book Industry panel and got to discuss all of my burning questions with Corey Brown of Zap Comics, Jeff Beck of Eastside Mags, and Anthony Marquez of Dewey's Comic City. Enjoy! And welcome to the State of the Comic Book Industry panel. To be a fan of comic books is to have some strong opinions about comic books. Um, You might read a handful of series faithfully, or you might have a pull list of 30 titles a week, in which case I'd like to talk to your uh, investment uh, team. Uh, In either case, you're invested in more ways than one, and uh, may like to have some insights into the general direction the comic book industry is headed in, its health in general, and why publishers make the decisions they do. And I have the pleasure of introducing three men who are on the front lines of the retail side of the comic book industry. Let's meet them now. Uh, from East Side Mags in Montclair, New Jersey, please welcome Jeff Beck. From Zap Comics with locations in Wayne and Manalapan, New Jersey, please say hello to Corey Brown. <laughs> you are not getting voted off the island. <laughs> and finally, bachelor number three, <laughs> Anthony Marquez of Dewey's Comic City in Madison, New Jersey. OK, 
Okay, so so just as a bit of background, um, can can you each share how you got involved in the comic retail world? Because I assume it was not because you were just small retail business enthusiasts and said to yourself, you know, comic books certainly seem like a stable and predictable product that will ensure massive profits, so that's me. Um, how, how did it get started for you? Jeff, let's start with you. Uh, I mean, I just, I've been a fan of comics. I've been collecting for over 25 years uh, with these guys. And, uh, you know, just after a while, decided to kind of just give it a shot and go out on my own. Uh, ben and Corey uh, were absolutely super helpful with answering a lot of questions I had about opening a comic shop. Uh, it was also important to me that I opened my shop uh, far enough away from these guys so that, uh, they're forced to be reckoned with, and I didn't want to start that fight. Uh, but no, they were great about helping me, giving me advice, and uh, really getting me started. And you know, it was just something that I wanted to do. And if I didn't do it now, I was never going to do it, and would probably regret it when I'm 80, going, "Oh man, I should have given it a shot." So here we are, four years later, and uh, still strong. So. The comic book store turf wars. <laughs> they're they're a legend. Uh, Corey, how about you? I've always done retail. I used to work in the toy industry. I had a website. Um, I realized it wasn't for me sitting behind a computer. I was at Zab for a while. Uh, I just kind of worked my way up. Um, ben, the main owner, has been there uh, be 25 years this year. Mm. Just, it was just a marriage that worked. And then um, I handle a lot of the front line stuff. He's in the back doing the grading and the, the buying. And I'm basically the bartender, you know, and uh, <laughs> dealing with all these, these guys. And uh, I do all the social media stuff. So it just it worked. You know, I, I've always loved. You know, it, it, to, to work in your, uh, if, if you work in your hobby, I mean, it's not a job. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, why are, you, why are you there like 13 hours a day? I'm like, look what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not yeah. in a cubicle. I'm not selling insurance. I'm not, you know, painting walls. I mean, if you like to do that, it's fine. But like, you know, you just, it's just fun. And then everybody who's coming in there is for the same thing. Yeah. And it's always different. One person likes, you know, the old stuff. Somebody likes the brand new stuff. Somebody likes the, the um, it's just, it's just fun. Cause you're, it's a big clubhouse and, uh, it, and everybody's, Everybody's a member, so, you know, just come on in. Yeah, excellent. Um, Anthony, I know your story takes all kinds of different paths to, to getting yeah. here, but uh, in regards to, to Dewey's, how did you end up at Dewey's? Well, I was, I work in comics in mm-hmm. general. And then um, I actually came to Garden State Comic Fest last year, and I saw Dan, and we were chatting on the side, and he goes, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close up the shop, I think. I'm, I want to retire. And I was like, you can't close up the shop. I'm so lazy. I'll never drive anywhere else. I was like, well, let's, let's chit-chat about it. And uh, we went over the numbers and all that sort of fun background stuff. And uh, we worked it out. And uh, I wound up acquiring uh, Dewey's. Uh, Dewey's is a great shop, though. And I do have to say I have to give a lot of credit to Dan uh, Veltri, the original owner, for uh, keeping it going for so long. The store has been around for 27, 28 years now. And uh, he did a wonderful job of building it into what it is today. So I feel a little bit of pressure with that, but that's okay. And uh, I really am enjoying the experience so far and hope that I can uh, continue on with what he started. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, we uh, have lots of questions about the industry, and, and I say we because eventually, for sure, I want to open it up to questions from all of you as well. Um, I'm going to dive in with a lot of things that I, as a comic fan and reader, look at and think, that why why does this happen? This can't possibly be a thing. Why? That's not sustainable good business. 
for the publishers. So, for example, let's start with this. Over the last 5, 10, 15 years or so, the, the amount of event series uh, released by publishers seem to be coming with greater and greater frequency, whether we're talking about Marvel Secret Wars or DC's Dark Knight's Metal, whatever, or the gajillion other examples any one of us could name. Um, from a retail perspective, do big comic book events work? Do they drum up the excitement or bring a surge in spending and leave readers excited for more that certainly the publishers would like to think? Is that is that your experience on the ground? Sure. Initially, it's always good because um, if you're a casual reader, events are very easy to pick up because it has all the characters, whatever. Mm -hmm. The problem is, uh, is a lot of times the ending is already known before it's over so there'll be like say three more issues left to go and they're already announcing the titles coming out afterwards so you can <laughs> kind of figure it out sure. and with social media and the internet you can look it up um, back in the day when it was just presented to you like week by week you didn't really know so initially they're good the other thing is too is a lot of times nothing happens they, they drum it up and they get it going and then by the time you're on issue eight and you're like just four more issues it's like it's not going anywhere you so you right. right at where you started so that hurts, but initially it's always good. Um, the problem is, is then you don't know how to order because you order so much issue one, it sells like crazy. By the time issue five comes out, it might be really bad, but you've already put your orders in, and then it just changes, and it gets good at number seven, and you don't have any because you cut back. So it's one of those things where you have to carry them. Um, for the mainstream crowd, it's very good. For the average diehard comic reader, it's usually not that good because they, they, it, they know it's gonna happen. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like very usually very predictable. Sure. If it's not, they're gonna sell it to you, and they're gonna tell you what it is. Uh, you know, publicity is always good for it. But um, so initially, it's always good. But the the problem is, five years down the road, the back issues are hard to deal with because mm -hmm. you don't know how to file them. If you're always missing an issue, you can't make a set. Mm -hmm. um, that's why the trades come in. So it's got its its you know pros and cons. But yeah. initially, it's always good. Okay. Do you guys, but yeah, go ahead. Tie-in issues are also kind of a kind of right. a problem too. I mean, sometimes you have these events where you have five or six different titles that tie into it, and you know, customers don't know should I be reading these tie-in issues. Uh, I mean, just recently when Marvel did Secret Wars, there were like thirty tie-in issues, but out of the thirty titles that were tying into the main story, I think what was it only like three or four actually had something related to the main story. Everything yeah. else were just little mini-series that came out. So you had customers coming in going, should I be reading all these side issues? As a store owner, uh, I try to read a lot of like the new stuff that comes out, at least number one, so I can kind of get a feel for the series and say to customers like, oh, you like horror? Oh, you should definitely check this out. Oh, you like funny stuff? Oh, you should definitely check this out. And uh, you know, when a series has 30 tie-in issues, now I'm getting bogged down because I feel obligated to read them. Yeah. And the customer feels like they're working over extra cash that they weren't planning on spending that month, which, I mean, I guess at some point is kind of good for us, but then at the same time, they're not picking up the later issues like Corey said, and, you know, they feel kind of almost baited and switched because, you know, they started reading a series that, you know, ties into the main story, it's not as relevant, so they're dropping off and kind of being remorseful about having picked up the first two, and maybe they push through to the other four, and, Right. That, that becomes an issue. Uh, are you telling me that my Secret Wars, Secret Love, Ms. Marvel one-shot was not an important chapter of the Secret Wars I'll get, that, I'll get that slot. There's a CBC <laughs> <laughs> For sure. 
which I did like actually. But uh, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I want to uh, I want to bring up a, a really recent example, which definitely crosses into spoiler territory. If you're in this room and have been eagerly awaiting but have not yet read Batman number fifty. Um, three days ago was the release of this issue. This is how fresh this is. The buildup for which has been enormous, of course, since DC has been promising the wedding of Batman and Catwoman. But last weekend, the New York Times ran a story about the issue that basically revealed the outcome of the story, which is not what you might think the big wedding issue of Batman and Catwoman might be about. Um, a decision that DC then defended on a comic book shop retailer Facebook group, I believe. So there's a lot to unpack there um, in this developing story. But to bring it back around to you guys, um, I want to share two quotes. And the first one was from a, a CBR.com story uh, that said, the newspaper article specifically told the casual fans that the very thing that the retailers were hoping would draw them in would not be happening. That could possibly lead to a major blowback on retailers this week, which I want to talk about. And the other quote is from a commenter on a uh, like an io9.com uh, version of the story, which clearly was a retailer who said, I've got 10,000 copies of exclusive store variants coming off a of truck Tuesday, and I've gotten to watch demand for them dry up in real time. Um, can any of you relate to that sentiment? <laughs> um, not even necessarily about what's going on with, with Batman, although that's such a huge story right now for everyone following comics that it's been such a weird um, roller coaster of a, uh, of a drama, and I guess that Marvel just had their own version of it yeah. recently. Um, so what, what does that do when um, the story gets out ahead of time and does, does interest go from like, can't wait to read it to, never mind? Sure. I don't think um, I don't think that getting it out there and kind of spoiling it is going to destroy it for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's more so in the execution of the book itself. And when you pick up something and you read it, and it's just really not that well done. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really going to make people angry. So it's one thing. Oh, all right. Well, such and such doesn't happen. But how does that get to that point? What what happens that causes it not to happen? So you should still be able to pick up the book, and if it's done well enough, you're going to still enjoy the book and be like, all right, you know what? I'll keep going. Um, and the same thing with the X Men issue. They did the same exact thing. I just don't think that the execution was there in the books, and in doing so, it causes people to get angry, uh, and that's that's the problem. You don't want people to be angry, and then especially when they force the retailers to basically have to order it. Uh, X amount of copies in order to kind of get it in there into the stores and they're sure. kind of tricking you into thinking that it's going to be something completely different, you know, then that's going to make the retailer kind of freeze up next time that they have an event and I'm going to be like, I don't know if I want to uh, order like yeah. so many sure. copies next time. I want sure. to kind of shrink it down a little bit and just get it out to, the, you know, the people that are going to, I know will pick up the issues. Otherwise, you know, it's not worth it. You're putting a strain on the retailers, you're putting a strain on the fans, and that's never a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did, Corey and Jeff, did you feel anything along this, along those lines this week also, either from, uh, from folks that might got it or even just your own fear of, well, what's going to happen because this is such a, a hullabaloo in the media right now? Um, it's one of those things where anytime it hits like Entertainment Weekly or uh, New York Times, it's, always, it's usually a good thing. The problem with this specific one was that the headline gave it away. Yes. If right. it just said the wedding the and then Dennis, yeah. Right. If it if it just the article spoiled it, it's fine. But the problem is you can't unsee that when you see it. Mm -hmm. On the other side of it, there was so many people that come into my store every single week had no idea this was going on. So mm -hmm. now they're like, "What is that?" So we did a midnight release for it. Um, we didn't do an exclusive variant, but it was the biggest release we had since Rebirth one shot. It was massive. It looked huge. 
Everybody, everybody had it. Everybody bought it. The covers were beautiful. The standard cover and the uh, Jim Lee one. Yeah. Um, so it did really well. And now the thing is, how is it 50, 51 gonna be? You know, because a lot of people were already, we already ordered 51. So, okay. uh, but the story was really well done though. So the, it, that's the other thing too is you get people attacking these things and they don't they haven't even seen what it is yet. It, to go back when they killed Robin, they were taking votes on it. Most people voting for the death of Robin thought it was. Uh, Dick Grayson. They had no idea who Jason Todd was. So, sure. could you just have like just a regular guy going? We how can the they kill? So they don't know what it is, and uh, it's just one of those things where you got to really know. Uh, it, I feel bad for the creators who plan this out. And like you said, I know you went to it. The story is, if it's done correctly, it's, mm -hmm. it's awesome. I think Marvel did it on purpose to kind of take away uh, some of the heat that uh, DC had going with the, Mar the wedding thing by putting a twist in there. So the DC yeah. twist came out. You know, sure. I had a feeling it was going to happen too because Catwoman One came out the same day. Yeah, it's like, why would she get her own title if she's married? It just because when they when Green Arrow married uh, Black Canary, they got merged. So it was a little weird, but you still know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do understand both sides of it. Uh, on our aspect, we did really well with it, but it could be short term. I don't know. You know. So sure. How about you? Sure. Uh, I mean, seeing it come up, uh, I've, I'm sure these guys can testify too. Uh, Comic book publishers tend to throw these little tricks in there to try to like get us excited about books so that we get you guys excited about books. Um, something like Batman and Catwoman getting married kind of made me go, uh, I don't even even with Corey said mentioning the Catwoman one coming out, even still, just by itself, I probably would have been like, uh, are they really gonna get married? <laughs> I feel like there's gonna be a twist in there somewhere. Um, so I mean, we we upped our order from what we usually get for Batman, but uh, and we we actually completely sold out of everything uh, during our midnight release as well, um, and so we've got more copies coming in now. But uh, you know, I read the New York Times article. I agree with Corey that you know it shouldn't have been in the headline itself. I mean, if the article is going to come out, the article is going to come out. But what the article doesn't mention was. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you if you actually read the comic on the last page, that last panel is like a mind blower. And the, I don't I'm pretty sure the article didn't even talk about that. They just talked focused on the wedding and not them not getting married. Um, so as a as a retailer, when people come in and bring up the article and say, oh, you know, did you see this? Uh, I kind of go, yeah. And if you read the article, you kind of know, but you don't know what's on that last page. And I, you know. I think, if, especially if you've been reading the series up until now, that last page is so telling, and it, 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 it actually throws back to all the issues you've read up until that point. So that was kind of cool. And then uh, just the art by itself, it was beautiful. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, but I think it was the Sunday, last Sunday, uh, DC sent to retailers PDFs of the, the full issue. And so uh, I had seen the New York Times article, and then I got this PDF in my email, and I said, you know what, let me read it. And as I'm going through, you know, if you've picked up the issue, you see these one-page, uh, like, splashes throughout. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from different artists, you know, Jim Lee, Lee Weeks, David Finch, uh, Frank Miller. And I mean, that by itself, if you're, if you're a fan of comics, and then on top of that, a fan of, like, the artists and the art that goes into making things uh, you know just those those one page splash pages uh, of Batman and Catwoman you know kissing or <laughs> hanging out with each other I mean it's just it's Shopping. gorgeous artwork by itself um, 
you know, story spoilers aside. Um, but yeah. Uh, Especially where Catwoman was in Batman number one, like the yeah. original one. So it was kind oh, of cool, yeah, the history, cool. you know, that was Seeing really... The, the, the evolution of the costumes and stuff yeah. like that throughout the years. And then, uh, you know, as far as like the guy who ordered 10,000 exclusive covers <laughs> for it, um, I mean, we, we did a we did a, an exclusive for Guar Orgasmic Edit number one from Dynamite. Bringing people together. Yep. But, uh, you know, um, I think, you know, maybe you're not going to sell as many copies of your exclusive variant because of the spoiler article. But, I mean, really, at the end of the day, what's the exclusive variant for? It's for the collectors. So yeah. it's, you're not getting the exclusive variant. And you guys have done exclusive variants. Yeah. Not for this issue, but for other issues. I mean, those are... You know, people aren't taking your, you know, the Zap or the East Side Mags or the Dewey's exclusive home and reading it. They're they're taking it home because they want to have all these different variants. Mm -hmm. and they, it's the collectability of it. It's not about the issue itself. So yeah, uh, I'd love to get your perspectives on renumbering series. And and I we were joking a little bit about it before we got rolling. Like Marvel, of course, just did reverting to original series numbering during its recent legacy push. Um, uh, and similarly, the practice of canceling a series only to relaunch it sometimes the following month with a new number one issue or a slightly changed title, Iron Man is, you know, um, I was going to say an offender of that right now. And you can decide for yourself if that's an appropriate word. Um, what, what's the overall thought on this practice? Who, I'll stupidly ask, who does it benefit? I know that it benefits the publishers in theory. But are people getting a little bit weary of this, or am I just a grumpy old man on the If, if you're going to do it, you need to... The book has to look different. Mm. I don't like when they just yeah. do it. It's the same creative team. No, if you're going to relaunch... Like, Captain America gets relaunched all the time. Same thing with Iron Man. Yeah. Like, Iron Man 600 came out, then number one. I'm like, you can't do that to people. The problem is, and I did it with Daredevil a few years ago with Wade, you can't have it the same team, because then it's, it's, it's like, what is this? What's if, the point? Right. If you're going to do it, make it a different... Look of it. DC doesn't do it as often, and when they do have it, uh, it happen. They make sure it, it's a like a revamp, or uh, it's all everything kind of lines up. Marvel's problem is they just kind of pick and choose. Okay, this is number one. This isn't. This is. So it's like what? So DC, it's more streamlined. So everything started off. So you know, and they pick two iconic books like Action and Detective to keep the numbering. I know Marvel's in the legacy numbering, which I like. Uh, most people that like that have been buying books for the past five, six years, they don't, it doesn't matter to them, which is fine. But if you're going to renumber it, you gotta make, and you can't do it after like eight issues. You have to, if not, just do seasons. Do like season one, season two, like a TV show. Uh, Dark Horse does it with like Buffy and stuff like that, yep. that's fine. But you, if you're gonna do like, I know we keep going back to it, but Iron Man, Captain America, it's just, you can't just, if you look at it, the artwork's the same, because we, when we file the books, we are trying to figure out what series is. Captain Marvel, the, the Carol Danvers one, there's like four series. They all look exactly the same. Like, uh, you can't tell. Like, because the price is the same, the bar in the bottom's the same, whatever. So you have to like look inside. It's really frustrating. And then all the variant covers doesn't help either because you don't know sure. what it is. Which so I don't mind one, yeah. number ones. I actually guess people pick up the book, but you gotta make it where you gotta, it has to be different. It cannot be the same team because it's just, it's just a money grab, you know? Okay, yeah. so number, number one is five variant covers. And then issue three, you're you know you're back down to your normal numbers again. So yep. that's right. the main problem with it. Right. Um, I uh, I do love historically when um, creative teams have been able to sort of run with that or make fun of it a little bit. Secret Wars 
being a prime example of a lot of the teams are like, ah, we're just coming back to this. That um, when like Squirrel Girl rebooted, I think the cover blurb actually said, "Our only our second number one this year," or something. <laughs> yeah. That they could really sort of celebrate, be like, "Thanks, editorial, <laughs> son of a." Um, are there fans that, that take these cancellations and immediate relaunches to, to drop books in some cases? Which is sort of a loaded question because there might be someone talking into a microphone right now who does take those opportunities <laughs> to be like, thank you Iron Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on the next iteration. I'm going to take this point to jump off. I've actually had a couple of customers, one in particular who I think it was our second year in business, Marvel had dropped. Uh, they canceled She-Hulk, they canceled Spider-Man 2099, and it was funny, it was actually really funny, uh, because this pullbox customer of ours, it was literally every title from Marvel that he was pulling, one by one got canceled, and he got really upset about it, and I kept, at first, you know, you try to talk to the customer, and you're like, yeah, you know, like, I don't, yeah, sure, She-Hulk was a great series, I really don't know why they canceled it. After a while, you kind of can't blame him for taking it personally, sure. because it's, it seems like Marvel's literally chipping away at his pull box, and I have yeah. nothing to do with it. Um, but yeah, sometimes you get you get customers who are going, you know, I've been reading Captain America my whole life, and you know they're gonna they're gonna switch the creative team and they're gonna reboot it, and I don't want it anymore. And you know you kind of just take that in stride, sure. I guess. Or you know, like I said, I I try to read a lot of like the new stuff that comes out, so you know maybe if. Or my other thing is like I don't like trying to push a book because I have a ton of it on the shelf. Like if I, if I'm gonna push a book, it's because I've read it and I really do enjoy it. So you know, I might I might say, hey, like you know, Tanahasi Coates' Black Panther has been really really good. Like you know, maybe maybe just check out number one and see what he Get does with chance. Captain America. Or dude, I read the Captain America book and it's awesome. Like mm -hmm. you really should check it out. Like I know how you feel about it, but you know, like. Here and maybe I'll throw number one just gratis, uh, just to be like, hey man, like you've been pulling with us, you've got a bunch of other titles, you're a good customer of ours. Here, just take the copy. If you like it, then we'll add it to your pull list, and you know, starting with number two, we'll charge you. But you know, if you don't like it, then whatever, man, you got a free number one. It's Tana Hasi Coats. If you don't like it, cool. If you do, then you know, we'll yeah. go from there, and yeah. you know, just deal with it like that. Sure, sure, perfect. Um, I, uh, I could keep asking questions, of course, but at, at any point, if anyone has uh, something that they would like to ask the panel, please put your hand in the air, um, and we will get, hello, front row. How you can didn't hesitate. <laughs> exactly, like, finally my chance. Well, yes. this is something that concerns me. Now, as retailers, what do you feel about the uh, escalating price points on comic books? For example, what, Spider-Man 800 was, what, $9.99? Yeah, 10 bucks. Yeah. Action, 1000 what, $7.99? Do you think it's sustainable for the market, I mean, for the industry to keep raising prices? I mean, you know, I'm hearing now that, you know, I know DC has some books at $2.99. I'm hearing they're going to be raising their prices. So I just want to get your opinions on what you guys feel as far as price points are concerned. How it affects the industry. If it, the value's there, it's not a problem. The problem with Spider-Man, it wasn't worth 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. The paper quality wasn't good. It just, it wasn't there. If you're going to do it like action, it was square bound. Yeah. Okay, it's it, it feels better. So you feel like you're... Um, Getting like a book as opposed to like a comic. It's like a mini trade almost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at Fables, it was, I think it should 150. It was like a trade. You know, if, if it's there, as far as a dollar going up, three to four dollars isn't, uh, people don't usually notice that, but when it's like five or six bucks, mm -hmm. like, five, like you buy two books uh, for five bucks each, you, with tax, it's like, you can't even buy two books for ten dollars. It's like, it's kind of, it's, it's sad. Um, and you don't, you don't get, 
<coughs> and a lot of it's just the, the story isn't there, the art's not the same. Um, so it's, the, the, like, a, to go back to it, the, the three to four isn't a problem, it's that when they're five or six bucks, it's a problem. You gotta be giving the customer something worth their money at that yeah. point. I agree, as, as a reader, as a collector, yeah. I mean, yeah. it makes Tard. me more selective, and it pushes me away from certain books. Yeah. I don't I wanna, can, you know, if prices, yeah. you know, the three, four dollar range, sure. you know, I'm used to that now. But yeah. if you're gonna go, like you're saying, five to six, I, I don't want to pay that much money for a new book, especially because yeah. some of it, like you're saying, it's not really worth the money you're paying for. The story's not there, the artwork's not there. Uh, like we've talked about, I'd rather go buy a Silver Age book. You can buy a, a John Byrne yeah. FF out of the bins for a dollar fifty, and it's uh, awesome. You exactly. know what I mean? So, and it's the same, you know, thing. So, it's what it's just the way things work now. Create just the creators get paid more, and it's all the licensing and all that stuff like that, and the advertising isn't in, in there like it used to be. I get it, but um, yeah, a book should never cost five bucks unless there's something important yeah. with it. Now, you know? do you think this trend? Do you think it's going to hurt the hobby? I mean, no, not no. not short term. No, no. I mean, hobby's very different now. People don't buy runs like they used to. Yeah, you know, everything's like buy it now, sell it now. Where back in the day they would hold on to it. Now it's not. It's more like the. It's weird because it's 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 the the market's very different now. It's I so mainstream. It's like you were talking about um, the first appearance of silk. Yeah. And everything's so like media. It's crazy. it's instant. That's the problem. It's like oh, it used to be like okay, this character's gonna get good. It's like oh, th there might be a movie. They talked about it. It's all speculation. Like you know, the producers thinking about it. Oh, that book went from like twenty dollars to like a hundred and fifty overnight. I'm like, but why? The, the character has no attachment. It's just that people, are, you know, of course now we can sell it online. It's a lot easier, and it's easy to hype out books online too. There's a lot of speculator sites that like, oh, this is coming out this week, and you can see them. They come in in the morning, and the same type of people look for certain books, and it's like this book shouldn't be that. But yeah. it's it was already they're just they're worried. Like I got guys that buy every image number one, no matter what it is, yeah. and um, which is fine because they're waiting for the next Walking Dead. You're not gonna get another Walking Dead, and if it, you did get a Walking Dead, you spent all this money on all these other number <laughs> ones that are not worth anything. So. Just buy, I always like just buy it what you like, and um, you know, if, if, if I, you I, yeah, if investments right. to me are like like you know the Silver Age like first Spider Man or something like that that to me is a real investment. Absolutely. To me, I mean, I haven't bought a new book in 20 years, so I don't. It's hard. We're on this side of it. It's hard to yeah, tell, yeah. talk about it. Yeah. But I don't know if I could go in every week and and spend 50 bucks on new books because I they were 75 cents when I started a dollar, so I I don't know if I could do that. Because you don't walk out with, to me, you don't walk out with enough what you get, you know, so. Well, yeah. It's disappointing when you read it, and then, like you said, it's not worth what you pay for it, especially yeah. if you spend 8 or $10 on the book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. just, that's very disappointing. Yeah. It was like two weeks ago, you had three books that came out, the speculator market, like, rocketed on them, and it was like Moon Girl 32 because of Princess yeah. Fisk, and Teen Titans Special because of Lobo's daughter, and then, uh, what was the third one? It was, uh, uh, Venom 2? Venom 3? Venom 3. Venom 3. Venom 3. I'm not even reading Venom right now because uh, I'm mad about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but like immediately, like, before I even got into the shop, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm eating a bagel, the, the lights aren't even on in the store, and I'm scrolling through a Facebook feed, and yeah. someone had posted something about, like, I guess it was one of the retailer pages that I'm on, and they said, hey, just a heads up, you know, here's a list of books. And the list was longer than those three titles, yeah, but most of them were variants, like the Miss Marvel one for 25 variant was hot. Um, the Batgirl variant was yeah, hot. Yeah, the metal yeah. You know, and those are because of the artwork and stuff like that, and I get it. But then I'm looking, I'm like, Moon Girl 32, but it doesn't say variant, and I'm like, Moon Girl 32? Like, what is, I haven't been reading Moon Girl, like, what's going on? 
Princess Fisk. Fisk has a daughter now, and because of that, they were, you know, by Wednesday when it was hitting shelves, it was like 15 bucks a pop. That's crazy. And then, uh, you know, and like what you were asking about the, the book prices, the last run of Deadpool, they had random issues coming out at 9.99. Like I, I mean, I'm probably a terrible retailer for saying this, but you know, I wasn't even fully paying attention to that kind of stuff. But we would get books, and and I'd be going through the Deadpool stuff, and I go, why is this so thick? And I'd look at the price and go. Nine ninety nine for issue twenty two. Yeah, whatever was like, it. It's not even like a twenty five or a fifty. Right. It's issue twenty two. Why is this ten bucks? Yeah. You know, yeah. I definitely that definitely affected a lot of my Deadpool sales yeah. because customers would come in and go, "Well, you pulled it for me. I'll take it." But you know what? Like, if they're gonna just keep sliding ten dollar Deadpool issues in it, because you can you can buy an image volume one trade for ten bucks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or Valiant. Or, yeah. Whatever. You know, Valiant. Yeah. You hit the fifty cents box. And yeah. Well, you, you, you die with those like that. <laughs> 50 cent bucks. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. Um, I want to I talk really quickly about the link between comic book sales and, and movies and TV, since we're talking about you know Venom and we've got thoughts about Venom, or, or the speculation of, like, Silk, they announced there might be a Silk character in the movie, so, so jump on that. Um, when, so Ant-Man and the Wasp, right, just opened yesterday. Uh, and Marvel Comics, of course, has released a healthy collection of, uh, of, of reprints of classic stories and current stories and stories for reprints for a dollar, et cetera, all in the hopes that people are going to see the movie and then they're going to say, I've got to get my hands on more. Where's the closest comic book store and, and make this happen? Um, do you expect that to happen? Is, is that a real thing? Do movies drive comic sales? Do the DC TV shows drive comic sales? At least for Dewey's, the way I've, I've seen it, is during the week you really have like your, your regulars that'll come in. But on the weekends, like especially like Saturday, Sunday, you get a lot of the families and kind of the kids will come in that have maybe went to the movies and they saw it. And we do get okay. uh, an influx of, of people that come in and want to check stuff out. Um, I don't think that the marketing is there all the way <laughs> that the companies and like uh, the studios could be doing to kind of make it even better. Uh, so this way you're having even more people during the week come in. But uh, whenever there's like a really big event, like with Avengers uh, that just came out during the summer um, or spring, whatever, um, we did get a lot of folks coming in looking for more Avengers stuff. A lot of teenagers, a lot of kids, they really wanted to get their hands on mm -hmm. Avengers stuff, which was great. So that was the first time I really saw a big rush. Black Panther a little bit, they started kind of coming in. But with Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, I gotta see how it goes. <laughs> sure, sure. Of course, of course. Does is that similar in in your stores? There's a little bit of a little bit of uptick of interest in those characters. I think it's related to the the hotness of the movie. Like sure. like Anthony was saying, Infinity War was a beast. Everybody I mean, was coming in for. I I don't think I sold. I think I sold more copies of the Infinity Gauntlet trade. Yeah. From when like maybe two weeks before the movie came out to like two months after the movie came out. Mm -hmm. I sold more copies of the Infinity Gauntlet trade just to, and not even to like regular comic fans who may have had the single issues already or just or knew about it, but you know, guys and girls coming in and going, I just saw Infinity War and I heard it's based off of a comic. Do you have, and I was like, well, yeah, we got this and we've got, you know, you're showing them Crusade and War and Gauntlet and all these other, you know, series. Um, and that was huge. Black Panther for us was also huge. Uh, I don't know. Like, and I think, because that movie was so amazing, so people were coming in. Uh, I definitely agree with Anthony that I think the, like, when it comes to, especially Marvel and DC, like, one hand doesn't really talk to the other, so you have, like, the movie and TV pro arm of the company, and then the comic book arm of the company. 
they really could be unifying better to say, hey, did you like Infinity War? Because you should totally check out your local comic shop because there's more to this and where this came from than just this two and a half hour movie with 60 plus characters in it. Just like even um, a quick thing says comic shop yeah. locator. The, the problem you know, is, yeah. is they want to sell the merchandise. They don't, yeah. honestly they don't care about the comics. It's right. just small, they would rather sell, they want t-shirts, they want Groot t-shirts, they want Star Wars t-shirts. It's all licensing, because uh, that's where the money comes from, Burger King getting the, on their cups or whatever yeah, it is. Sure. And as far as like what Jeff was saying with Infinity Gauntlet, when, this, when the movie is based on a specific story, it's very easy. Watchmen came out, Read this. Yep. Feeling all in. Read this. When it's just like open ended, it's like ah, Spider Man. I don't. Uh, yeah. Homecoming. It's not really based on anything. So, the first movie is always the best. The second movie, it all depends on the villain. You know, like uh, Emin the Wasp. Everybody wants to know who the ghost is. Mm -hmm. Is it ghost? Is yeah, it? yeah, ghost. Right. Uh, so, the, but just the first appearance. That's all they want. Um, it all, Black Panther was like a, uh, I know he was in Civil War, but it was like a new character, so that really blew up, uh, especially the trade sales for us, because Black Panther was, a, it was a steady book, but it really changed things. So it really depends. It has to be a monumental movie, and it's much easier to sell something if it's based on one story. Because, you know, people, they're casual. They don't want to, like, invest. I don't want to read everything. That's why Walking Dead changed everything. Walking Dead came out. It was very easy. This It's based on this. It's right. The first season's basically one. Yep. Yep. And they would fly through it, and I need something else. Well, there's nothing else like it, but you can read Preacher. You can read Sandman, Why the Last Man. Okay, I'm done with that. What do I have? Well, Batman. I don't want superheroes. Yeah, I know, but Dark Knight Returns isn't really superhero. And the next thing you know, they're buying Rebirth. So Walking Dead, to me, was the biggest one I ever saw where it really brought people um, mainstream non-comic booky people buying like uh, weekly books. Mm -hmm. That's but it's it was very easy to sell, right. and it would fly through the books like like you know because it's one story. It was very easy to sell it to them. So awesome. it all depends on the subject matter too. And like Guardians of the Galaxy, when we first opened, Guardians of the Galaxy had just come out, and we couldn't keep Guardians of the Galaxy anything in stock. I mean, people wanted Baby Groot stuff, they wanted comics, they wanted all this stuff. And so I was selling through, and I was still new at it, so probably my ordering wasn't as high as it probably should have been, but I, I learned a lot from that. And I, we were stocking up on stuff, and it was going out the door as fast as I could check it into our inventory. And then, you know, recently Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 came in, and I went, uh, let's be a little conservative, like, let's not buy everything with a dancing baby Groot on it and, you know, <laughs> pump the brakes and we'll see what happens, and it was a smart move because, you know, by the time the second movie came out, people knew the characters, they had stuff already, maybe there were, like, one or two little kitschy things that, like, were new to the market that they hadn't done previously, but, like, it was, like, it, it, normal it sales. Yeah, yeah, it right. had cooled a lot. Uh, it wasn't as big a deal, so. As we're wrapping up, is there anything that the three of you wish that comics fans and buyers and collectors knew about the retail industry that might help them understand where you're coming from or what helps drive the decisions um, that you've got to make as store owners? We've certainly covered a lot of content, but if there's like if there's some misconception floating around out there, like we're not trying to hurt you, we want to give you what you want. Um, what is the big secret of of running a store like this that? Um, that helps it sink or swim, or uh, is the reason that the three of you are so successful, these stores are so successful, and others go by the wayside sometime? I think it, a lot of it has to do with you can't, a lot of people think it's um, almost be awesome. You like, you, you put up all the stuff you like. No. It's not, it's not, my, it's not my, my, uh, my room, it's not my, my sure. man cave, whatever. 
I have to I have to know how to sell Pokemon. My Little Pony, Preacher, Crossed, uh, everything. So they don't realize that. Like, well, what do you read? I'm like, I don't read that much more because I have to read about everything. Mm -hmm. And people ought to think when they think on Wednesday morning, like, oh, did you read all the books? I'm like. <laughs> no, like, I've been here since five this morning. Like, what, what'd you do? I'm like, how do you think all these got on the wall? Like, they don't realize how... So, like, on, especially Tuesdays, like, you guys know, like, they book them, you gotta check for damages, and the, there's so many variants, and then you're like, something's missing, and then you gotta... And the other thing is, too, the big thing is, oh, you don't have it? It just came out today. I'm like, yeah, but I, I ordered it two months ago. Like, I just can't... I, I need it. I'm like, yeah, they're gone. It's already going to third print. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, the second print's gone. Like, they don't realize you just can't, like, yeah. I can't call, you know, Bruce Wayne and say, right. hey, listen, <laughs> drop them off, yeah. drop them off yeah. in the back. Yeah, you know, exactly. that's the main thing is, is how much work is involved and that you can't just reorder it instantly that day. Yep. You know, it's, it takes a while or right. you miss it. It's very, and we chose years ago to not have a returnable. You know, you keep what you buy because, like, newspapers used to be able to rip off the top, and we, we said no to that, which is fine, but we also have to take risks of it. So you can't just say, okay, that looks good. I'm going to order 5,000 copies. It's not that easy. I wish it was because then it would be easy. You know, everybody would be making money like crazy. Sure. But it's, it's very tedious, and you really have to uh, – you can't go with what you like. You have to understand what everybody else likes, you know, because a lot of the things that are super popular, I don't like at all. But you got to – you know, you got to sell it to them, you know, and get what they want. Yeah. Again, yeah. we're just bartenders, and whatever drink you order, I have to know how to make it. Yeah, it doesn't mean I'm going to drink it. No. Feelings get in the way no, whatsoever. Exactly. So. I, after that answer, I kind of feel like we should shift to a bar or something. <laughs> Let me tell you something about variant covers, <laughs> just to just to work that out. Um, I, uh, I, I want to, we can wrap up on a, on a positive note, because I know that at your stores, uh, sort of to your point of having to um, needing to be able to sell uh, beyond your own interest or bring people in beyond, you know, beyond your own interest and uh, recognizing that Funko Pops are a true force in this world and not to be ignored uh, on, on the retail front. Um, For now. I, I know that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I know that uh, that you've each uh, done some some really unique things sometimes in your stores that go like way beyond the regular merch. Like you've had live music yeah. in the store, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, in, in the interest of encouraging this community and, and bring more people in, um, tell me about some of the uh, some of some of the most different or crazier or just uplifting things that may or may not have anything to do with comics, but leave everyone feeling good about your stores. Uh, big thing for us, I'm like, so when, when I decided to quit my job, I had worked in the city for about 12 years in hotels and conference centers selling technology services, and I love what I did, but I just, I really wanted to go into business for myself, and I really just, I sat down one day and I said, what job can I have that's going to make me happy for the rest of my life? And it was either comic book store, because I've been a fan for collecting for like 25 plus years. But I also have been a musician, and I, I love music, and I listen to a ton of music, and I've been in bands and on tour and stuff like that. And I said, well, comic book store or music venue? And then I said, well, eventually I want to have a family, and I want to have kids, and I don't want to work nights for the rest of my life. And, you know, uh, as, as much as I appreciate the bartender analogy, I've also heard that bartenders aren't necessarily to be trusted. <laughs> From friends of mine who own restaurants and such. So I said, uh, I don't think I want to deal with that, but Retail, I mean, you have finite hours, and it's to seem more like a, the, the logical route to go. Uh, maybe not the smartest, <laughs> but logical. So uh, 
we do live music in the store. That's my way of, you know, having the music venue uh, kind of mentality. Uh, we do stand-up comedy nights that are free, uh, where comedians just show up and they can tell their jokes, and we don't charge admission or anything like that. We've done, and there have been a slew of them recently, but a whole bunch of anthologies that have come out, uh, one that supports Planned Parenthood, one that supports the survivors of the Las Vegas shooting. Um, there was a, a horror anthology that came out. Um, you know, so a lot of these anthologies are coming out with short stories featuring artists and writers who we either know or are friendly with or connected to in some way. And so we've tried to hold signings with five, six, seven, sometimes as many as nine different people uh, in our little 950 square foot space, uh, crammed in, but they're happy to be there. And we donate 10% of our day's sales to the, uh, to the organization. Uh, so like plant the, the mine anthology for Planned Parenthood, we donated 10% of our sales to Planned Parenthood. Uh, we know that sometimes there's a political affiliation associated with that, and so we don't push anything on people, but we do let people know that, you know, if you don't buy the anthology, 10% of your Batman purchase is gonna go to the, you know, to the organization. So, you know, um, we try to give back to the community. I mean, you know, for me personally, I know I took uh, a huge risk uh, just kind of going out there on my own and opening up a comic book store and thankfully the community, especially Montclair, New Jersey, Essex County, the guys at Zab, Anthony when he was an artist and, and a creator and now is a comic book store owner too. You know, everybody's just been really cool and it's, uh, you know, other comic book store owners who I've met and come across have just been really cool and I just, I, I'm still four years later overwhelmed by how nice everybody is and not threatened by our existence that uh, you know, it's just, it's my nature that I want to give back and I want to help support the community that helped us get to where we are now. And hopefully, you know, maybe one day, you know, Corey and I and Anthony will all be old men and Corey will go, we're celebrating our 60 year anniversary. And I'll be like, we're only 25, but we're still <laughs> <laughs> you know? it'll, it'll be fun and maybe we'll all find each other, you know, Walkers in wheelchairs on this panel. Dentures falling out as we answer your questions too. Bring it. Yeah, be cool. I'll have hair then, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll donate some. I'm gonna, one. I'm I'm gonna, gonna will it into existence. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> well, that that uh, that was great. If I, I don't want to cut you guys off, I know that's it's obviously right. customer service is also a, a huge thing at, at both of your stores and. Um, you know, I certainly uh, have memories growing up of like, there's the store I liked to go to because they were friendly and didn't yell at us as kids, and the yeah. other one that was dank and scary, <laughs> like hit all of the cliches all the time. So, so living in this in this area that um, that there are so many great stores with uh, folks that are more than happy to greet you and help you out Always. is is a is a big is a big plus. So, uh, so thank you gentlemen for uh, some some awesome shopping experiences um so uh once again please help me in uh, uh, thanking jeff beck of eastside mags corey brown of zap and uh, anthony marquez of dewey's comic city there is a reason that their stores are among the most popular in new jersey so go visit their booths and visit their stores and check them out online and have a great afternoon at the garden state comic fest thanks guys That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests, Corey Brown of Zap Comics, Jeff Beck of Eastside Mags, and Anthony Marquez of Dewey's Comic City. If you're shopping for comics in New Jersey, pay their stores a visit. You will not be disappointed. 
And if you need more of these gentlemen in your life, all three of them can be found and followed on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks also to the awesome folks at the Garden State Comic Fest who hooked us all up in the first place and recorded the event for the historical record. Dave O'Hare, Sal Zerzolo, and Eric Balomo, thanks so much, guys. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? And what deserves to be eaten by a lion like a karmically challenged poacher? You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Kikawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Kikawatts. And on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Kikawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Kikawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121kikawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. You know, the show doesn't even have a dedicated phone number, and yet, incredibly, I've got listener voicemail to share. This comes from friend of the show, Alex Brewer, in Oakland, California, after he listened to our segment from episode number 28 about nerd holidays, which featured a bit of Princess Leia singing on the Star Wars holiday special. Hey, dude. It's Alex. How's it going? Um, I just want to call and tell you that um, I was listening to your podcast, and that Carrie Fisher life vaping almost made me crash my f***ing car because it was so funny. Oh, my God, dude. You bastard. You bastard. And uh, thanks for the laugh, dude, because, holy oh boy. Thank you for that awesome message, Alex. It made my night to hear that. The rest of you are welcome to call as well, if you can figure out what my phone number is. It's always a good idea to challenge people to track down and use your personal information, right? I don't know if you're aware of this, but every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section at the iTunes store. It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. Do it. Do it now. Do it right now. You know what I'd really appreciate? Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good one on iTunes, which will help more people find the show because that's how computer algorithms work, apparently. And then we all make some new friends, introduce some new listeners to the fun we're having here, and that would make me a happy, happy man. It will take 30 seconds and could make such a difference to the team behind this podcast. As for the rest of you, if you're not an iTunes user, you can also find us by searching for 1.21 Gigawatts at soundcloud.com or on Player FM. You found us on one of those platforms, so congratulations! Browse the episodes listed there and check out another one. You know what? I'll even make a recommendation. If you enjoyed this chat with these comic book store owners, you should know that was not the first time we've chatted with a comic book retail champion. Back in episode number eight, I spoke with Steve Olson, owner of A Little Shop of Comics, and got his take on what it means to run a successful store in the comic book and pop culture market. That's episode number eight of 1.21 Gigawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. Huge gratitude to the quarterback of the queue, composer and my co-producer, David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. This man is a surgeon, people, I'm telling you. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of Geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc., all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago, and let people know that you're listening. 
I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's Nerd Rock Band H2 Awesome with our rad-tastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. 1.21 gigawatts What every geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad You might meet Luke and Leia's dad Pop culture that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad It'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Someone has mixed an amazing Spider-Man in with the Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man series. This will not stand. Pardon me, but I wish to tender a serious cash offer for this stack of water-damaged little Lulus. <sighs> a, that is not water. It is Diet Mr. Pibb.